Well, I want to welcome to the program Luke Heinschel. Luke is uh, the incoming headmaster at the Court of Christ Academy in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Welcome to the program, Luke. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Luke, we got to start off first. How's your Lent going? Let's go. How how is that? What's that like? You know, Lent is always rough, and I, I think it's supposed to be that way. Uh, no, my my Lent is growing absolutely wonderful. I've been uh, uh, diving into some of the the homilies of Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, and that's been very very edifying for me. He's got some some homilies on Lent that he delivered during Lent, so they're they've just been very very enriching. Nice, that's so awesome. We just uh, did a book club on the Crusades, and it was called God's Battalions. And it's a really cool book. Uh, it's by Rodney Stark, and it gets into an understanding of the Crusades that like wipes away a lot of the sort of Catholic prejudices and misunderstandings of the Crusades. But, um, you know, St. Bernard of Clairvaux plays a big part, you know, in one of the Crusades, right? He comes in there and preaches, the, uh, preaches it, and uh, Rodney Stark identifies him as the most powerful man in Europe, which is really something. And to think about the fact that he, as a Cistercian, here he is taking this vow of poverty, it has power, has this influence, right? His holiness and fulfilling God's call in his life radically impacts just the flow of Catholicism in the high middle ages or leading into the high middle ages. It's just really striking. So that's yeah. that's so awesome that you're diving into those homilies. Okay, putting you on the spot, uh, give me one insight that has struck you from those homilies. Well, um, considering death has been uh, a really really important thing. You know, on Ash Wednesday, we we hear the the priest at mass before he gives us our ashes. He says, you know, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return, and that's evocative of Genesis 3.19, when uh, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and, and they're given the, the sanction of death as a result of their sin. And um, just always keeping death at the top of mind. It's it's important for the Christian life, but in particular during Lent. And so I've appreciated that. And you say that with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've been reflecting on death and keeping death. Hey, honey, I've just I've been thinking about death today. Yeah. No, uh, we have to rejoice in our sufferings. That's what St. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. Rejoice in your sufferings. Amen. I, I don't love that, right? I, I want to love heaven enough to be able to undergo the Good Friday, the passion that the Lord has in store for me. So, all right, but look, okay, now I'm going to get now get down to, to brass tacks here. So uh, I, was, uh, I was reflecting on something my brother-in-law said, and this is now to you as uh, someone that has been in educational leadership, having been a headmaster, now the incoming headmaster at Court of Christ Academy. He was asked by the archdiocese where he was uh, a principal and president and, and a headmaster over the course of um, 25, 30 years. He would give incoming principals uh, a retreat every year. And he asked them two questions. So I'm going to ask you those two questions. The first question was, what was the divine appointment that led you to hear and respond to the call to be a headmaster, to be at the, 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 the top of a, an institution that is leading kids uh, into the depths of the Catholic faith, in this instance, Court of Christ Academy. So what is the divine appointment that gave you this sense of mission? Isn't that a great question? Yeah, that's an amazing question. I love that. Get ready for the second one, too. So there's the first one. Let's hear it. So I, I got into this uh, realm of the, the church's mission because when I was a, a very young man in high school, I became convicted about the importance of evangelization. And so over the course of my life, Okay, now how did that happen? Wait, how do you just become convicted about the importance of evangelization? That's just not the natural outgrowth of a typical Catholic teenager. So where did that come from? Yeah, so I went to K-8 Catholic school. And aside from a couple of family members, I didn't really have a whole lot of exposure to people who were not Catholic. Um, but then I went to a public secular high school where I really encountered a lot of opposition to the faith. And that is where my faith blossomed. I loved my religion classes in my parochial school. But when I got to high school and I found out there's people who 
you know, seriously think about important things and yet they don't think the same way I do on this. And so I, I had to ask myself, do I really believe in Catholicism? Do I think this is actually true or is it just something I grew up with? And it was through apologetics and, and dialogue with, with my peers in high school that I really became convicted of the truth of the Catholic faith. And if it's true, then it's important that everybody become Catholic and not just Catholic in name, but you know, really passionate about the faith. So I got into apologetics in high school and um, I really thought that you know, we have to argue people into the church. And well, first of all, that's I a agree- great, that's a great first story there. I, th- there has to be something about your family, though, because I think that uh, the typical high schooler, when they get pushback about something like God and religion, it could easily be something that's a source of embarrassment and isolation where, do you want to be with the cool kids or do you want to c- continue to believe what you're believing? Because being Catholic all in not only has a, a intellectual component, but a moral component. So that means a lifestyle, that means dress, language, behavior, all of that. That's that's a that's a heavy lift. So like, where did that come from? That that interior constitution to have that kind of heavy lift? It came from good parenting. Uh, it, it's hard to uh, pin it down to any other one thing. Uh, my parents, you know, raised us in the church, and they they wanted us to. Uh, understand and live the Catholic faith as a, my, my brother, I have four brothers and our names are Matthew, Luke, John, Mark, and Peter. <laughs> so my, my parents really prioritized handing on the faith to us. And, and, you know, I'm inc- incredibly indebted to them for that, but it, it was the environment that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to ask a question. You've heard the statistics that say, a praying father, a father who exercises spiritual leadership in the home, creates an environment that is statistically much more likely to have the kids continue to practice their faith. Yeah, that's it, right. W- would you would that be confirmed by your experience? Absolutely. Um, whenever people ask my parents how they met, uh, they when as they tell the story, my dad always stops the story to say that as soon as they encountered one another, the first thing he asked was, are you Catholic? And when uh, when my mother was going to produce, or no, what religion are you? Is what my dad would ask. And when my mother was about to produce the answer, she knew, oh no, I'm, I'm gonna say Catholic. And then that's gonna, this is gonna not go any farther than that. <laughs> but But she said Catholic and he said, oh, okay, good. Then we can do something here. <laughs> So it was always the first priority. Mm-hmm. Nice. And did you have your father, and I'm saying this because, so I'm a husband of 28 years, a father. And, uh, you know, when we pray our family rosary, when we're doing our family prayer, so I'm the one who's always taking the first step of leadership and then bringing in my kids. And my wife certainly is a prayerful woman and adds a tremendous amount but I, I have that in my head. Not only is it appropriate for me to stand in leadership, it's also going to sow seeds that will bear fruit, uh, even just from a sociological perspective, that it, it's confirming what God has established. So did you sense that as well, that your father was someone who took initiative around fostering um, prayer and spiritual leadership in the home? Yeah. um, You know, we all are trying to get better at that all the time. And certainly, I mean, myself as a father, I, I always want to grow in my ability to hand on the faith to my children. Um, What my father was very, very good about was always setting a good example. Mm -hmm. Uh, He lived out or lives, he's not deceased. My father lives out the, the virtues that are important for handing on the faith. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really look up to him for that. That's beautiful. All right. So I, uh, it, your faith grew when it was tested. Your faith yeah, grew right. when it was pressure when it was pressure tested, and God gave you the gift of being able to say, "I'm going to stand up for what it, what I was brought up in," and the Lord used that to open your faith to grow. All right. We're, we're, we haven't got to the divine appointment yet, so we'll, right. let's keep moving on in the story here. So, sure. So I. Uh, I, like I said, I got into apologetics in high school and I did a lot of private study. 
Uh, I focused a bit more on my private study than on my formal studies. And, you know, my grades reflected that a little bit in high school. So but, was this uh, like, uh, this is like Catholic Answers and Scott Hahn was Patrick Madrid. I mean, who are the, the, like the, the main players there that like formed you? If you said I had to recommend three books in uh, apologetics for, you know, Catholic young people, what, what would you recommend? Well, I loved A Father Who Keeps His Promises mm-hmm. uh, by Scott Hahn. A Father Who Keeps His Promises. It's, it's not an apologetics book. Uh, but it's an overview of sacred scripture in a way that any teenager could understand. And I used that text in my conversations with Protestants because it really paints a picture that the Bible is a Catholic book. And on every page of sacred scripture is this, um, this divine invitation to man. But it's not just a broad emotional invitation. It's one that is inviting man into relationship with God in the way that you see it lived out in the Catholic faith. And so it's not a faith alone sort of thing that the uh, non-Catholic Christians like to promote, but instead it's one that is completely embodied in the believer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, so that was a very helpful book to me. Nice. For, even though it's not an apologetics book necessarily, it, it helped me in my apologetics. Excellent. See, I'm older than you. So I was back in the day of Catholicism and fundamentalism and radio replies. I mean, come yeah. on now. Like I was. Well, but get this. I'm not, uh, I'm a little bit beyond my years because I stole my mother's tape player with all the apologetics tape from Scott Hahn and Pat Madrid and, uh, and all the others. And so I listened to little tapes uh, in the days of CDs. <laughs> So when I first started in church ministry, I was producing tapes, okay? So that's, <laughs> Luke, I just have just aged myself out right there. So God bless you, Tom. There it is. Yeah, and I'm still going at it. So I'm talking today with Luke Heinschel. Luke is the incoming headmaster at Court of Christ Academy. Court of Christ Academy is an incredibly exciting new school in the Catholic tradition that uses a classical methodology to form kids to be saints and servants and soldiers for Christ in this world today. We're going to get into Court of Christ in a little bit. But we need to know about the divine appointment that got you here, Luke. I think we'll get there before the end of the program because we have to get at least to the second question. But let's yeah, let's, it's, let's it's continue a longer story on. than you think. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I I thought apologetics was the key. You could argue people into the faith. Uh, later on, I realized that even Catholics don't know the Catholic faith by and large, and so then I thought, well, it's catechesis. I started volunteering my parish, teaching uh, the confirmation classes to my fellow teenagers. And um, I thought if we could just teach people the faith better, then that would promote belief in, in the church's faith. As I grew, I started to work in parish and college ministry, as well as a, uh, at a Catholic diocese. And I, I began to see that the faith has to be lived. It can't just be known. And so I thought that uh, liturgy was the key to uh, handing on the Catholic faith. And I certainly think apologetics and catechesis and liturgy, I think all these three things are extremely important. Um, but I, I, my thoughts have evolved. And I've always sensed that God wanted me to be involved in this effort of evangelization. And so when I went to graduate school and I studied biblical theology, I took a philosophy course that showed me that philosophy and politics have really impacted the way that the the faith is lived out in the world. And so then I thought, well, everybody needs a philosophical education. And that's really what, what it will take to hand on the Catholic faith to future generations. It wasn't until I started working in a uh, classical school that I realized that the key to handing on the Catholic faith is forming the whole person. It is the intellect. It is the incarnational aspects of the liturgy, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's everything that you bring into yourself changes who you are, and it changes the way that you handle the world and the way you view the world. And that includes 
um, that includes the way you view the faith. And so people will accept or reject the faith based on whether or not it coheres with their, their vision of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I, I love what you're saying. It's, it's, um, it's very profound and, and you're circling around so many of the core aspects of what it means to, to live our faith. And uh, when you mention evangelization, uh, I was waiting for you to say the name Jesus, right? It's uh, in the end, right? The core of our faith is, is Christ. And it's that relationship with Christ that guess what? There are obstacles that got to be removed. Apologetics. We've got to know more about who Jesus is. Yes. It's catechesis. We're going to be drawn into the worship of the father with him. Yes. It's liturgy, but we have to have that encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ, who's knocking on the door of our hearts here now and today. Uh, I mean, really, when I think of what um, my brother-in-law who leads that principles retreat. And the first question is a divine appointment. I mean, that's personal, that's intimate, that's profound, that's life-giving. That's God broke into my life and touched me. And therefore I had to move. So talk a bit about that. Talk a bit about the way in which uh, Christ is the, you know, at the heart, at the center of all of these other aspects of, of living our life of faith. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, I, I, when I was in catechesis and in directly teaching and in apologetics, one of the greatest uh, things that was missing was that people have not been taught how to pray and how to have a conversation, a real relationship with our Lord. And when when people are missing that, uh, it's it's hard to see how the faith is an entire person sort of event, how it, how it should inform everything about your life. Uh, for me, that, that really became real to me at a moment in adoration uh, when I was 19. And I, I looked up at the host and I could hear uh, music in the background, but I looked up at the host and I had this, this moment of a sort of epiphany where I was looking at him and allowing him to look at me. And there's lots of saints who have, who have described similar experiences. And I, I really hope that that is the kind of experience that we can foster uh, for all of our kids as, as we try and hand the faith on to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use that word event. And when you're talking about adoration, it's that word encounter. And that for me just evokes St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict in, in their writings about without that encounter, the event of the encounter with Christ, our faith is sterile. It's a heavy weight. It's a burden if it doesn't get to the heart. And I, I know that like as a parent blessed with the nine kiddos I have and my wife, Carrie, when we are talking and praying and, and, and trying to like, Lord, we just want our kids to have that breakthrough, that encounter with you. Uh, we are so often talking about adoration as that place of encounter. Epiphany was the word you used, right? All of a sudden there's this manifestation that Jesus Christ is is alive. So, so you had that encounter. Okay, where do we get to, and now I'm called to serve the Lord with my life as a headmaster of classical schools? Well, yeah, so... You, you actually hit the nail on the head when you said that it's a heart issue. Um, I had always thought that- Did the, you just say I hit the nail on the head that it's a heart issue? That, <laughs> okay, that was very, that was, either you were super clever or you didn't realize what you just did there, so. <laughs> Normally it's the latter. Yeah. <laughs> no, so classical education seeks to form the whole person, including the heart. Uh, classical education doesn't just try and form a, a brain in a vat. Uh, we are trying to form a whole person. We're trying to get them to recognize and create beautiful things. We want them to pursue and do good things. And so that's more than just the mind. It's more than just intellectual. That is a real, uh, it's a game of the heart. And that's, um, so I became convicted of that. And I decided that classical education is where I can answer this call that I have felt since my youth. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that call to hand on the Catholic faith is a call to form hearts. Uh, that must include forming the mind and other things, but 
uh, we can't forget the heart. And so when I had that experience in adoration when I was 19, uh, I often describe it as that was when the faith traveled the 18 inches, the great chasm, you know, from my head to my heart. And it, it was in the context of a personal encounter with our risen Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Amen. That's Luke Heinschel joining me today. And, and Luke, as I mentioned, is the incoming headmaster at Core to Christ Academy. If you're watching this online, the video, you'll see the website for Core to Christ. It's C-O-E-U-R-D-U and then the word Christ, coretochrist.org is the website. And again, it is a, it is a, it, they're in their, they're finishing their first year. This is their first year of operation as a, um, as a, as an academy in the Catholic tradition that is classical in nature. It's using a, a classical methodology to form saints, scholars, and servants. And um, I, I want to say this, uh, Luke, as, as you mentioned, you felt this call to fulfill what the Lord had for you by being a headmaster, by being in leadership in a classical school setting. Um, do you sense as you look around the country that uh, there's something very special going on in classical schools? That I, I personally believe that that is a move of God, that one of the many things that the Lord is doing to bring about a, a reform, a refreshment, and a deepening of Catholic faith is raising up uh, educational institutions like classical schools to be able to be a hedge of defense and a place of formation of this next generation of missionary disciples. So what would you say? Absolutely. And I think the Holy Spirit is working very hard in North America right now with all of these schools propping up. And it's it's not just North America, but um, we what we're seeing is people across this country are realizing that education is not merely about, you know, making servants for the economy. Education is about so much more than that. And in the Catholic tradition, education is about making students into saints who can know, love, and serve God. And so uh, the way I usually describe the difference between classical education and modern education is in its purpose. There are you know, curricular differences and there are method methodological differences, but the real difference at the core is the purpose of education. Modern education wants to create servants for our economy and classical education wants to create authentically free people. And I love that. What you just said, that is so well stated. Say that one more time. I think that that, that I, I haven't heard it said like that before, but that is beautiful. And that's, that's actually quite profound uh, when you think about it. So just say it again and then break sure. it open for us. Yeah. So I got this from Father Peter Millward. A Jesuit no, no, no. Make pretend Peter. you came up with it. Make pretend this was, I was <laughs> praying and the, another epiphany and the Lord gave it to me. All right, go ahead. Give it, attribute it to the person you need to. Go ahead. Uh, so Father Peter Millward, he said that education is not for training servants for the economy. It's for forming a free man. Mm -hmm. And I, that resonates with me because in the Gospel of John, our Lord says, Anyone who sin, sins is a slave to sin. And, um, and so he, he invites us to freedom. And ultimately, that freedom has to be used to pursue truth, goodness, and beauty, and to know God and love him so that we can love him forever in the next life. Um, but we don't want to be servants of the economy. It's not just about what career you're going to make get into. It's not about um, you know, what college you're going to go to so much as it is about what kind of person are you going to become? Yeah. Well, and, and Luke, it, it, that's a, like, that's a conversion, right? It's a conversion right. of mindset because so many set. high schools lead with we're college prep high schools. And yeah. well, well, what are you preparing them for? To go to college for what purpose? Why go to college, right? I'm not against college. I've got kids in college, uh, but what college and why? And what's the purpose of that school? And then what's the purpose of that degree? It keeps it keeps trailing further downstream, or you have to keep tracing it back to wait, wait a minute, what what is this all about? And um, it language that my wife and I will regularly use is around identity and purpose. 
you know, I'm called to be a saint and I'm called to fulfill the God-given mission that he has planted me on earth in this moment to fulfill. And if we can keep those two things in mind, how is this helping our kids become a saint, growing in holiness? How is this going to help them discern and become equipped to fulfill the God-given mission that is theirs? It is incredibly refreshing to be able to have kids, your kids, my kids, our kids, go to a school, an academy that has that in mind. It is incredibly refreshing and fundamentally important. That's right. And it's all based on what you think the human person is. If you think the human person is nothing more than a cog in a machine, well, then modern education will serve you well. But if you think the human person was destined for relationship with God and was destined for a communion with the divine, then that changes everything. And it changes what you think education is. It's all based on uh, what your anthropology is. What do you think the human person is? Yeah. I'm talking again with Luke Heinschel. Luke is the incoming uh, headmaster at the Court of Christ Academy. And folks, um, an incoming headmaster would love to see more incoming students. Uh, I've had a chance to talk to a number of parents whose um, high schoolers attend the Court of Christ Academy, which is, again, an academy in the Catholic tradition that is utilizing a classical methodology and approach to forming saints, scholars, and servants. Um, Luke, are you excited to, to be coming here on this journey? And, and is Gabby and your kiddos also? Are they ex- what's, uh, what's the feeling here? And then I'm going to ask you the second question. We really are. Um, we're so excited about being in Coeur d'Alene. Uh, that area of the country is so beautiful. Uh, we're, we're moving out of California and onto greener pastures and at some times of the year, whiter pastures. <laughs> <laughs> like right now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. So when you think about uh, making this move, that's a big discernment, right? So the first question was, um, where was the divine appointment that led you to say, this is what your call is? The second question is, what scripture, what part of the word of God is a word that confirmed you in that, where where do you root this sense of call in the Word of God? Now, a guy with an MA in biblical theology, this has got to be a softball. So, <laughs> what what is a scripture that just burns in your heart and just makes you say, like Ezekiel, consume that word? And I just now need to, my my, there's this fire inside of me, like Jeremiah, right? So, what's that Word of God for you? So, can I build up to it for a second? You go so- right ahead. Jesus was uh, referred to many times in his ministry as teacher. And my favorite scripture passage, the one that I carry in my heart every day, and the one that really speaks to me, and the one that I I pray every day that I will live out better, is from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. And he says in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so my my daily prayer is that I would live that out better and better and better and have Jesus live through me, through the graces of the sacraments. And ultimately, Jesus was a teacher. He taught in in two principal ways. He taught uh, in a human way by uh, his actions and his words, but he also taught in a divine way because he could actually pull the hearts of his listeners He could actually send the Holy Spirit to move his students, his disciples, interiorly. And that word for uh, disciple, that's the same word as student. Mm -hmm. And so I want uh, Christ to live through me so that I can pull people's hearts, so that the Holy Spirit will pull people's hearts through my words and actions. And that means that I want to be 
a teacher, a headmaster is ultimately the, the head teacher of a school. Um, but I also want to order the whole life of the school towards its proper end. And to me, that that is it's extremely important. Well, Luke, the the um, the this whole corridor people refer to it as the Spokane to Coeur d'Alene corridor has just become this landing place for so many families who are seeking refuge, who are striving to live intentionally their lives of faith and have left places that were just more toxic and more uh, painful for the lives of their families. Now, this place is not a paradise. In fact, you're quoting, you know, uh, Galatians chapter two, verse 20, 21, uh, you know, for me, yeah, this idea of being crucified with Christ means there's always going to be a spiritual battle. And I'm wondering, as you have made this discernment, like little spiritual battles, like I do these interviews all the time and all of a sudden my internet goes down when I'm trying to connect with you. And I'm like, oh, come on, really? Come on, devil, are you going to, like, is this a spiritual attack trying to stop my internet from working? Are you kidding me? But uh, if that was the worst spiritual attack that you've had related to this whole journey, <laughs> <laughs> you, you've had a really uh, blessed life, but yeah, that's right. Yeah. But just to think, um, have you sensed and seen like Christ in the desert, there, there are those, there's spiritual warfare involved in making a move like this. You know, it's, it's all so exciting that when, uh, when these little things come up, I tend to just brush it off and keep my eyes on the goal. Um, we're, we're so excited to be moving up to Coeur d'Alene that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit of suffering and maybe a little bit of cross once there's ice on the roads. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> the Southern California guy hasn't hasn't driven in much of that before. And I, I think that may be the the, the biggest uh, hill to overcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's your biggest hill, you, you, you're having a, a great life. So, uh, but there, I would say that that idea that there will be a sense of a spiritual battle, it can be everything from the internal one to the relational ones and whatever. But, um, you know, where the Lord, you know, appoints, he also anoints, right? Where the Lord sends, he's going to provide the power that is needed. And, and very uh, often the the points of suffering may not be from the devil. They may also be from God seeking to purify us through, through our sufferings. Amen to that. Amen to that. So uh, Luke, I'll, I'll share this with you just, just between the two of us here, but uh, twice during Lent, I followed this custom that I'd heard about on a, in a homily that for your Lenten penance, give your guardian angel permission to humble you once a day. Have you ever heard of that? Oh no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. So I, that was a divine appointment. I was supposed to share that with you. I know that we're a week and a half into Lent, but you might want to pray about whether or not the Lord would have you follow that path. I did it once and I said, I'll never do it again. And as I was talking about it on the radio, as Lent was approaching, I said, oh no, the Lord's calling me to do it again. And um, this year it, I didn't feel that call. I was called to do something different, but let me tell you that theme of the Lord will bring me into contact with the cross because he loves me enough to want to purify me, to cleanse the vessel, detach me from the, the fleshly things that hold me back. That's how much he loves me. And yeah. if, if there wasn't a cross and, and a, a purifying humiliation and, and, and humbling, I'm not going to grow to be that saint or fulfill that God-given mission. And so what do I want, right? Do I want the goal without the means? Do I want the Easter Sunday without the Good Friday? You know, so I don't know. Is there anything there for you? This, you know, guardian angel prayer. You're gonna have to pray I'm about not, it. I'll, I'll let you, you know, let you you're discern. Kind of making, you're kind of making me feel like now I have a moral obligation to do that. <laughs> <laughs> to at least discern it, right? To at least yeah, yeah. discern it, right? No, you don't have to follow it. So now, when you have, um, when you you've come to discern a decision like this, um, your wife was involved. Uh, what was that like? What was that like for the two of you to discern a move like this, to uproot the family and, and move to Coeur d'Alene to take on this amazing call and role at Court of Christ Academy? Yeah, she and I talked about it quite a lot. And we, we spent a great deal of time praying for God to just give us the, the direction. Um, if, if he wants us in Coeur d'Alene, that's where we want to be. And if he doesn't want us there, we don't want to be there. 
when when we were discussing it and uh, eventually I came out to visit, uh, she said, you know, instead of me coming out, why don't you bring your mom? Because we would love your parents to come and join us. <laughs> so my mom and I came out and we just, we both fell in love with it. And I, I pray that my folks will, will follow. Uh, we'd love to have our, our kids around their grandparents. Um, but when we came back, uh, my mom was telling Gabby that this, this place is so beautiful. And not because of the, the physical beauty, which is certainly there, but because the people who have banded together to start this school are just incredible people. They are so faith-filled and they, they really want their children to become saints. And that vision that my mom and I had when we came and visited was so incredible. And we have so much respect for, for those, those individuals that, that started this school and you know have been working so hard to get it off the ground this first year. It's inspiring. It's absolutely inspiring. Yeah, I'm inspired. The, the folks that um, took that risk to say, we're going to launch this. I mean, they did it out of a sense of mission and they did it out of a sense of fulfilling the call they have as parents to raise their kids to be these saints, scholars, and servants. Um, when um, when you're now, imagine you're talking to me, a parent who have kids that are seventh, eighth grade or ninth grade and, and 10th grade, just trying to figure stuff out and feeling like I want a fuller, uh, more holistic Catholic experience for, for my kid. What can they expect uh, if they said, yes, I'm going to really discern and I want to come and check out Court of Christ? Yeah, so they can expect that the Catholic faith will be prioritized. Um, it's not window dressing on a school. It is everything that Court of Christ is about is about handing on the Catholic faith. And that is in every discipline. It's in every extracurricular. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm most excited about is that integration of the faith into everything. For example, uh, they, they have been doing a virtue of the month. And so they're focusing on some virtue, the whole student body as well as the faculty and, and staff, they've been focusing on a particular virtue every month to, to cultivate in themselves. And so it's not just about, you know, go to class and do your homework and play a sport. It's about a holistic formation. And so it's, it's intellectual formation because we want students to be able to know and pursue the truth. There's also um, an artistic or aesthetic formation so that students can recognize and create beauty there's moral formation. You know, you want students to make good decisions with their freedom. And uh, obviously, spiritual formation. We want students to be able to recognize the one God who is holy, Jesus Christ, his incarnate son, as well as all the saints and angels. Yeah. And uh, Luke, I, I, I teased the, uh, uh, the, one of the, the founders, uh, the president of your board, uh, Kellen Clemens, because of the sports dimension of things. Uh, my kids love sports and his kids love sports. Obviously he's very engaged in that. And I loved how he has brought uh, like a very, a literally professional approach to athletics to be brought to bear on uh, a classical academy in the Catholic tradition. That is just extraordinary. What a gift that that is. Um, and so uh, folks, I want to just say again, I'm talking to Luke Heinschel here. He is the incoming headmaster at Court of Christ Academy. And if you want to meet Luke, you'll have a chance to do so in just a couple of weeks. Um, Luke is going to be up here at the Great Saints event, which is celebrating holy culture. And that event's happening on March the 18th. And it's, it'll be a beautiful gala. I'll be there. Uh, I'll be there with Kerry and uh, in supporting uh, this wonderful academy in the Catholic tradition. And uh, it, it it straddles the feasts of St. Patrick and St. Joseph. And it's happening on a Saturday night. So we're good Catholics and our Lord's Day begins the night before. So I, I'm going to lay down my uh, heavy Lenten burdens and be able to enjoy the evening. Praise be to God for that. And uh, so you're going to be at this event. Talk about this uh, wonderful event that's coming up. I'm so excited for it. So those two great saints, St. Patrick and St. Joseph, are exemplified in Irish and Italian culture. Uh, the Irish love some St. Patrick. 
and the Italians love their St. Joseph. And so there's going to be a little bit of a, an element of competition, if you will, between these two saints and these two cultures. So that's, I'm really looking forward to it. Nice. Uh, is Gabby going to come up? She won't be able to come up. We've just got a, a brand new baby, a newborn baby Jude. And so she's got to stay with him. Yeah. Well, Jude gets the priority here, right? That's She'll right. be up here soon enough. And um, and so I love events like this because it not only it provides um, the financial grounding for um, uh, important institutions like Court of Christ, but it's a great time of fellowship. It's a great time of being together with other Catholics and and um, like-minded Christians who are just committed to growing uh, a faith-based organization like this in the Catholic tradition that's supporting young people. Now, I know, Luke, that you've written and have done a lot of work in helping parents to realize the challenges that their kids are facing today. I think one of the things that we naively sort of take for granted is that, oh, when our kids go to high school, it's kind of like when we went to high school. That's a little different. They have more computers and, uh, you know, kids are kids and there's going to be some partying and there's going to be some, you know, uh, you know, funny stuff going on, but it's kind of the same. And uh, I, I really appreciated uh, an interview where they interviewed you about the concept of dating and uh, some of the challenges that parents, are you really aware your high school is not their high school. What they're facing today requires something different. Talk a bit about that. Yeah, well, there's so much there. The, the big challenge, well, one of the big challenges for teenagers right now is how connected they are to the internet. And so with the, their you know, windows into hell that, that live in their pockets, um, our wow, did have... you just call a smartphone a window into hell? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, man, I've used some strong language and metaphors before. I don't think I've ever used a window into hell. I'm going to steal that and make pretend I made it up. I like well, that. Please that do, so because it's so true. There, there's so much danger lurking there that their, their young hearts and minds aren't quite ready for. And I don't know that our adult hearts and minds are ready for some of these dangers. And so um, the, these things, it has, has radically changed the way that our teenagers interact with one another. As a result, um, dating and uh, uh, you know, discerning marriage has been perverted. Uh, so it's, it's not the world that even I grew up in, uh, it's it's a completely different world in terms of student relationships with one another. And so th that that article that you're talking about, I was very excited to say that uh, students need to be taught how to discern marriage more than they need to be taught or, or encouraged to uh, try out members of the opposite sex. And that's what's really important is how to discern marriage. It's not about, you know, can you go on a date and enjoy this person? What, what teenagers need to focus on is what am I looking for in a future spouse? Or what kind of a person do I need to be to attract what I'm looking for in a future spouse? Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, I had this, this crazy moment during adoration. Uh, it, and that was the moment where the faith went from my head to my heart. In, in very, very close temporal proximity to that moment, I also met my wife, the woman who would become my wife. And I had this profound change of heart and, and a realization that I need to, needed to make myself the kind of man who could make her happy in the long term. And I think that's the kind of realization that teenagers need to have. And it's, it's not about affection or romance. It's really about what kind of virtues do you need to live that state in life? Look, I don't know who you are, but I, you know what? When I was a teenager, I wasn't thinking like that. So that is super <laughs> impressive. What kind of man do I need to be to be to make this kind of woman this woman happy? That's beautiful. It was and because I, I knew I couldn't live up to it at that point. I, like I said, I wasn't thinking that either. All right. So that <laughs> you, you've got some great advances there. And I, I want to go back to your parents and say, you've got a lot to be grateful for 
uh, that if that kind of thinking emerges in you, that's a huge gift. That's a huge gift. It's the kind of thing that I, I want to go in two directions. The first is um, I pray, you know, you, you've, you've, it's kind of a, uh, it's an old chestnut at this point, pray for your kids, future spouses. But I heard someone take that deeper and it was, no, no, don't just pray for their future spouses that they'll get to know them and that they'll be prepared, but no, pray for their protection against falling into sin that's going to damage them. Pray for their rescue out of situations that's going to wound their hearts. Pray for their, you know, literally the, the hand of God to be over them mercifully to preserve their purity and modesty, chastity, their holiness. And, and it, it's like, you can really drill into that way more than just, oh, I pray for my kid's future spouse. And it's like, yeah, why would that be any different than the kind of focused, intentional prayer I pray for each of my kids? Yeah. Why wouldn't I be praying that same way for their spouses? No, that's exactly right. And that that protection is so, so important. And if we can pray for the grace that our children's future spouses would be protected from some of the evils that that can corrupt our hearts, um, that that will make their their future lives a lot better. So one of the things we do in our home is at dinner time we try to foster like interesting conversations and. Um, and so Carrie, my wife, she's the one who's really good at that. She's an educator by training and she's really good at kind of let's get out the like the, these questions, these cards, and these other things. And um, and I remember like we would we'll talk every now and again, we'll circle back around to what are the uh, attributes you want in your future spouse? But it was different than the question you asked in that article to the kids and in, in uh, you know, these high schoolers, which was. What are the virtues you want to see in your future spouse? That's and right. I'm thinking, what a great advance. Because, you know, when you say, what are the attributes? Well, you get, you, you can probably guess, right? Well, I want them to be funny and funny, good sense nice of humor. A good job. And... Rich. No, 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 not good job. Rich. They want to yeah, be rich, right. good looking, you know, in good shape, outgoing, right? All the, and it's like, all right. Yeah, and it's kind of a fun conversation. And and then they're like, yeah, well, of course they're Catholic, right? So that's a that's sort of a a no-brainer in there. Um, but it's stated, but not not the virtues one. And I like yeah. that. So well, I mean you've just given my family another another interesting dining uh, dinner conversation. So thank you for that. Well, so shouldn't a teenage girl, shouldn't she want her future husband to be temperate? Shouldn't she want him to be able to control? his desires. Um, how much heartache could she save herself if she weds herself to a, a temperate man, as opposed to a man who can't control his desires? And so I, I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things you brought up in, uh, again, that article was about the scourge of pornography and how it's just devastating so many kids and parents just literally don't have a clue, or if they have a clue, they don't know how to step in and intervene. Quick anecdote, my oldest daughter's 23, and um, she you know, went through school at the time of smartphones emerging and all the platforms and all of that. And I know one of the things that I'll hear when my wife and I give workshops on um, smartphone use and media use and internet use for to parents, They'll say, well, you know, if we kind of restrict it all during high school, you know, then they're, they're going to be totally unarmed when they get to, to college. And then it's just going to be devastating. Well, I, I, I speak back and I say, my 23-year-old daughter, she comes back into our house and says, mom and dad, you guys are on your phones way too much. Like, it, it's not true. It's not true that you can't instill a contemporary lifestyle fully engaged in the world without being on social media platforms. It's a matter of forming the kids and getting them to the right college. And then, you know, getting them, first of all, to the right high school, sorry, getting them to the right high school and even to the great grade school. That's right. right. And then from there, they get to the right college. And then from there, they're adults. And by the time you're an adult and if you're getting married, 
you ought not to be overly attached and uh, really addicted to internet, uh, into the internet or your smartphone. So how does that inform your approach to being a headmaster at, at Court of Christ? And how does that show up at Court of Christ? Well, if I can, uh, the, probably the reason your daughter doesn't have that problem with the technology like everyone else her age does uh, is because she's cultivated in her heart, and I don't know her, but she's cultivated in her heart certain virtues that enable her to really see other people in a way that when you're ingrained in a screen, you just can't. And so that's that's probably why she can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. What was no, that? Hey, if you're going to affirm my oldest daughter, you can just tangent all that you want, right? You know, so, <laughs> but I'll give you that, that. That'll be sort of the last question. And then we're going to run out of time here. So yeah. Um, uh, so your approach at, has headmaster to something like smartphone use. Yeah, I I love Court of Christ's culture of leaving the smartphones at the door. I think that's really beautiful because it, it, it forces the students to engage with their studies, to engage with their peers, uh, and to engage ultimately with the God who we want them to have an encounter with. And so uh, the smartphones can, can do nothing but distract. And we Amen. want to take away that distraction and give them the opportunity to really have a full human life. Right. Why do we want our kids immersed in the window to hell, right? Exactly. Uh, when when there's so much more, put them in front of the beauties that reflect heaven. Better yet, so, give them an icon, a window into heaven. Amen. There we go. Yes. Yeah, an icon. And you have all these icons on your smartphone, right? Isn't it funny? You could probably go, we could dig into this all day. All right. I want to give you a chance to invite parents to consider Court of Christ Academy. Why should they consider, you know, they they have a limited use of funds. They, they're living on budgets. They're trying to figure out where do I invest? What do I invest in? What do I do as best for my kids? Why would they invest in sending their kids to Court of Christ Academy? Ultimately, there's nothing more important in life than to ensure that your children and your own hearts know God and love God and serve God. And the whole mission of Court of Christ is to ensure that not just our students, but all of our families become scholars, servants, and saints. Scholars that know God, servants that serve God, and saints that can love God forever in the next life. Amen. Um, Luke, one last thing is that uh, Court of Christ is, it's, it's pretty unique in its approach to tuition. And I really appreciate that. Um, You know, I know what it's like to be paying for uh, private education and classical education and Catholic education. It's, it's expensive. Um, Explain the difference that Court of Christ has in, in that matter around tuition. Yeah, so Court of Christ, we want to give this education to uh, anybody who wants to prioritize it. And so our tuition rates uh, vary depending on household income. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're not here to be an elite school for the rich. Not a single person at Court of Christ wants that kind of an environment. Yeah. What we want to do is we want to bring in people that uh, prioritize this kind of education for their kids the kinds of people who want their children to be saints. And so if you can't, you feel like you can't afford uh, private school, come and check us out. Let's have a conversation and discern it together. Amen. That's Luke Heinschel. Again, Luke is the incoming headmaster at Court of Christ Academy. Court of Christ is Core Do Christ, D-U. So it's Core, C-O-E-U-R as in Coeur d'Alene. Core Do Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T, CourtOfChrist.org. Luke, thank you so much for taking as much time as you have with me today on the program. And I look forward to meeting you on the 18th. Tom, I'm honored and I will see you in a couple of weeks. Awesome. That's Luke Heinschel. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.